Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 52nd ever Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, in and the first of 2017. So if you want to know what's happening with all the cool board games and card games in the year 2017, you will gradually find out throughout the course of this podcast. You are certainly in a place, and hopefully you'll find it to be the the right place. Nice. Uh, but it's not just me, Quentin Smith, and Matt Lees over there. Who else is on the line? I'm I'm on the line listening to your 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 authoritative introduction to the year. You see, what's Paul, coming? I, I don't even know what's coming this year. I don't have a clue. Uh, yes, yeah. but that is not because we're incompetent. It's because we don't believe in the <laughs> hype cycle. We don't believe in marketing. Yeah, we just believe in what we can play in the here and now. That's we took how I our feel. advice from from Fleetwood Mac and we decided to go our own way. Yes. Also to Tusk. What yes. They, what? And landslide. I mean, I mean, these these are things at the point where now, if you're listening to this and you really like, uh, you really like Fleetwood Mac, then you're probably laughing. But if you don't, then you're not. So let's go back to board games, which is the podcast that this is about. Today on the podcast, we are going to be discussing uh, what are we discussing? Deception, murder in Hong Kong. We're going to be discussing Welcome Back to the Dungeon and Hall. What have you been playing? I want to talk about a game that we briefly talked about before, I think on a podcast, which is Dark Stories. Ooh. Jesus. And also, I want to talk a bit about Welcome to the Dungeon. I want to talk about Clank as well. Yes, I want to hear you talk about Clank. Should we start with uh, some clanking? I should also okay. say that we've got some uh, fabulous mailbag reaching into thereof coming up. And some amazing folk games, uh, all waiting at the end of this podcast, like a sort of uh, sweet dessert after the meat and potatoes of Paul talking about, uh, well, let's start with Clank, eh? So Clank is a, it's kind of a stealth game about infiltrating, I think it's like a cross between a castle and a dungeon, sneaking Mm. into this, trying to escape with uh, some kind of cool treasure and or treasures without making too much noise, because a dragon lives in there. And all okay. of this is, is sort of... It works through a deck-building mechanic where you start with a small handful of cards that allow you to do things like just move around. And like a lot of de- deck builders, you uh, shuffle these, you draw five, and you play them, and it's like, well, you can use some of these cards to buy some more cards to put in your deck and some of them to just gradually move your way across the board through this dungeon. But some of these have a sort of side effect where they make noise, which is measured by cubes that go into a bag. And as sooner or later, somebody has to reach into this bag, start pulling cubes back out. And if they pull out a cube of your color, because every, every player has a cube of their own color, that basically represents how you've been making too much noise recently and the dragon has come and found you and burned you or nibbled you or injured you. And so it's... In it, like you have a limited amount of hit points, you can take a. I think it's about ten points of damage, and so, you know, if you get caught, you don't necessarily die right away, but inevitably, the stakes get higher as you gradually make more noise. You introduce more cubes into this bag, and you go deeper. And as you would expect, the deeper you go, the better the treasures are, but the riskier it is, and also the harder it is to suddenly get out in a hurry if you feel that you need to do that. And yeah. there is. It's, you know, as you might expect as well, it's one of those games with a sort of a tipping point. Everybody is going in. And then at some point, people suddenly think, well, you know, this is where I'm going to cut my losses and flee. 
do, do you stay in there for a bit longer or are you going to be the person who gets out first and safest but maybe didn't take a big enough risk so we've had uh, deck building games simulating empires and businesses and cool Arctic gangs and that all, and wars, you know, in the amazing A Few Acres of Snow. But yes. am I correct in understanding that in this game you are building a deck that is your legs? Yeah, it is your leg deck. It's basically, it sort of represents you and maybe a party, maybe of a, a couple of assistants or like magical items that you have. So you might acquire a potion, slip that into your deck and then heal yourself with that later or do something else with it. Uh, or you might acquire a mercenary, which makes you... Um, better at fighting because occasionally you run into monsters where depending upon how you want to play you might think it's better to to avoid monsters or fight them and get treasure so it's a combination of yeah you become better at walking better at fighting and sort of better at stealing and or not dying yes i i'm sort of uh, looking at the sort of seismometer of looking for your excitement as you talk about this and, and you're not moving the needle right now I, you know i mean i quite like this and i would play it again i wouldn't say i was brimming with enthusiasm but i i have sort of a history with deck builders i guess where i've just i've enjoyed most deck building games so immediately it's got this core mechanic that i quite like playing and i think as an idea it works well i think it's a well executed concept let's sneak into a place Let's gradually acquire things. Let's try and be quiet. And, you know, the the balance is there between how risky you are, how much noise do you want to make, how much do you want to push your luck. It's Um, a very caloric base for a game, right? I mean, it's like, uh, is deck building. I mean, it's kind of an intrinsically fun and entertaining thing to grow a deck. I think so. Having a recipe, but just ensuring it involves a ton of cheese. And then it's, it's harder to go wrong for designers, I think. I I think so, and I I like that side of it, and I ge- generally I like this concept. I do. I look at this board, Ooh. and obviously, once you play through this board once or twice, it, it will become very very familiar to you, and that's that's what comes in the box. Obviously, there's expansion potential there for people to make more boards, which represent more things that you can explore, because I think it is a game that may not have an enormous shelf life when you know you've played your 10th game of following the same route along the same dungeon knowing roughly you know what the some of the better or the more efficient paths are so i think it could get that is interesting yeah just the fact you haven't got like much flexibility there i would say like yeah at least with most deck builders even stuff like arctic scavengers you know where you are building decks from scratch yeah the, the way you build it out is going to be reactive to the circumstances in front of you the question i've got about this is obviously you know um one of the games that you guys reviewed, I think, last year, and it's obviously just been re-released uh, with Shinier Art, Diamant, which previously... Oh, Diamant. Di- Diamant. Di- uh, Diamant. Ink and Gold. Ink and yeah. Gold, the coffee blend. So smooth. <laughs> mm. But that that obviously has a similar theme of just get in, push your luck, get mm. out with stuff. I wonder how, how the kind of getting out works with a deck builder. Do you just... Do you, is, does somebody just drop out of the game early, being like, I'm done now? Or how, how does that work? You, you basically you kind of can, yeah. You will, the, gra- the dragon gradually gets angrier as time goes on and draws more cubes from the bag, which means it might do, do more points of damage to you whenever it turns up. Um, and cl- clearly, I like it. If you've looked at the board, or you can even imagine in your head, deeper down there are better 
treasures to grab and return with but it is it is kind of up to you how much you want to push that when you want to turn around and leave and whether you think you are going to be how can I phrase this like whether you are going to be beating someone out or whether you're going to be beating someone to a higher score because you can just just die and there, I'm glad there's... you phrased those two sentences in those ways I was worried we were going to stray off and uh, I mean I guess it's, it's interesting because with uh, <laughs> my god it's a with... bit early in 2017 for jokes like that I'm sorry it? it's a brave new world everything's wrong including <laughs> me uh, but I, I guess I guess I'm just interested in it because obviously like this kind of um, cut your losses or, or, or yeah or take a gamble um, mechanic uh, really thrives, I think, in like round-based games, like you know, like this in Gold, where I'm it's thinking, like you have yeah. six rounds and you might pull out early in the next one, and that's funny as well because it becomes this thing if you're the guy who keeps pulling out early, and then you, the, the last round you're like, no, screw it, and you can have your little moment where you you go nuts and keep digging. Whereas I feel like with this, with one game, um, I don't know what the play length of a game is, but without the round style thing. Um, yeah, I'm with you. If I'm touching just... your luck is something that where you want to make that mistake and then enjoy, uh, sort of use the fact that you pulled out too early or you were in there for too long. This all sounds very yeah. Sorry, I've, 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 no, I've spoiled it, everything. Oh my god! But I, but the, but no, you're right that you want to be able to make that mistake and, and push your luck. Whereas it seems to render it less fun if you're. Just if you decide to. Well, it's gambling, isn't it? And and gambling, of course, as we know, is only fun if you continue to do it forever. (laughs) 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 But no, no. I mean, jokes aside, like it is, it is that lovely thing of. um, uh, I mean, I've got friends who will who will dabble and be like, "No, I'm going to play it the safest round." But I quite frequently this as well. In the first round of a game like this, I'll just be like, "Screw it! I'm just going to go for it," and it will go really uh... badly. And from that point onwards, I'm just locked in it. Like I don't even care if I'm going to win every time. From that point onwards, I'm just like the guy who every time just pushes it to the limit. Paul, were you there when uh, when we played Deep Sea Adventures with Matt? (laughs) (laughs) I was I. I don't know if I was. It was at the UK Games Expo, so you would have been there. I'm not Was sure if he got there that? yet, though. He was catching up with us because okay. we arrived there earlier. So famous uh, Japanese push-your-luck game, Deep Sea Adventure, where you go I love down that game. and then you run out of oxygen and someone drowns. There was this amazing thing that happened where, uh, you know, some people went down, ooh, they grabbed some treasure, and then they went back to the boat. And Matt and our friend Chris seemed to undergo something like uh, becoming possessed by like James Cameron going into the deep sea trench or possibly just <laughs> oh, the God. movie Abyss yeah. where they just kind of went plowing down to the bottom of the ocean I, I there mean, was so like, much good stuff down there yeah <laughs> and we we very almost nearly didn't drown at least once <laughs> <laughs> yeah and every other turn it was every just other time we just drowned insta drown uh, but that's it it's kind of fun um well i just i'd be interested to know paul like how you felt about that mechanic in in the flow of a game which presumably runs closer to well, i don't know how long each time a game run, lasts for it seemed like a big heavy could thing. you be out like for 20 minutes earlier than someone else for example you you actually could you could be out for and actually 20 minutes is a pretty good estimate of that amount of time you can be playing this for like i guess an hour and an hour and a half depends how many people you have and depends how sort of thorough or thoughtful you want to be but yeah there's you something can be weird the... about that though you know i think of like being like feeling like the best way you can win is by tapping out of the game 20 minutes early <laughs> if, if then you go and yeah. make a cup of tea and then come back and like 20 minutes later everyone goes oh yeah you won i can't imagine that feeling terribly triumphant no but, but i mean how much worse would it be if you stop playing 20 minutes and then you watch your friend play by themselves for 
25 minutes and, and they turn just, around and go I've beat you now you just go great <laughs> well that's that's yeah that's kind of uh, a, one of the things that can happen in it it was watching with dread while people pull off something that you, you dared not do yourself it's funny that you say it's that life, actually because playing this and talking about this and fairly sort of enjoying this I, I keep thinking about an old game that we briefly talked about a long time ago called Dungeon Quest which I always I, liked which is yes. random tile laying dungeon making you have this blank board and as you explore it you just draw tiles out of a bag that are dungeon tiles you put down and they can be anything and the game is not fair or balanced and you can try and get to the middle where the dragon's treasure is which you might get and then you've got to get back out again or you the can thing... just wander around for a while, pick up things and leave. And you can go back in and out as many times as you like. And it all you have is like a hard limit, a hard time limit of how many turns. And I, I just want to play that more. Here is a question for you, Paul, that occurred to me, I think, when I was in the shower, totally nude, mm. uh, about a week ago. This, is is, that... this year's started off really funny, it, I, hasn't it, it, for us? There's nothing funny about this, Paul. Anyway, so the thing is that you will famously hate on Talisman, much like the rest of us, for being completely random nonsense. And you go round and round, and it's bad, and bad things happen to you, and then someone wins, and it goes on for too long. But you, I'm listening to you now, and you big up Dungeon Quest for exactly the same reason. You go round and round a labyrinth that is random nonsense, and some, except it has actual permadeath, and then someone wins? Defend yourself, sir. It, it does all of that much better. Talisman is very long. It is a very long experience uh, that is very... It's much more rigid. It's just sort of you walk around a circle and it's like, well, I'm going to land in the forest and I sort of know what's in the... It has a lot of stuff that's very similar. Like, oh, I've landed in the forest and there is a monster and I fight the monster in the way that I do the other thing. Um, I think randomness can be good with lots and lots and lots of variety. And Dungeon Quest gives you a bunch of different decks of cards for all the different types of rooms for all the different types of things that you bump into so it is also very random but it keeps that fresher by giving you so many different things and so many different choices and also kind of leaving it up to you how long you play for i mean what interesting thing more of the decisions in your hand i'd say i mean when was the last time you played this paul (sighs) damn probably about three or four years ago actually okay so not too long not too long i was just wondering because actually in the, the next podcast we're going to be recording something me and quinn's have been doing a lot lately is going you're swearing back and we're going to be swearing a lot yeah Ooh. Uh, but no well, there probably will be some of that because uh, one of the themes in the next podcast and something to look forward to next time is is kind of old games and old systems we've been dipping back into some some old classics uh, and 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 it's been the biggest a, air quotes around the word classic. Yeah, exactly. It's been it's been an, a really fascinating, but sometimes quite a frustrating experience. And I was just wondering if if that was something that like with um, with this fondness for older games, uh, as you'll find out in the next episode. Sometimes we went back towards stuff with very fond memories, and yet those memories were either uh, quickly tainted or, in some cases, just revealed to be untrue and the, the true memories kind of surfaced but we'll come back to that next time uh, there, but yeah. there's a few things i could say about some I, I will hold that off but yes i have opinions about some of that too i mean i was kind of relieved to find you know you're talking about these these uh laying dungeon tiles exploring mm. stuff the fact that i remember buying a game a board game which had an awesome 
box art in a Games Workshop years and years ago. Oh, and you know really... that Dungeon Quest is Games Workshop. No, I know, I know. But this I... could be the same thing. But it's not. It was called Draken or something like that. Oh, Draken. Yeah, Fantasy Flight re-released that recently. But we looked it up and I was, I was kind of pleased because I, I bought it and it was so complicated and when I played it, it was just joyless. <laughs> and <laughs> I was kind of pleased when I looked it up on Board Game Geek, the, the kind of, I can't remember what it was, but it was just like, yeah, this is, this this is, is a bit joyless. Um, so I was like, yeah, I wasn't just an idiot kid. Validated child um, criticism. Uh, Paul, I'm guessing we're not going to see a review of Clank on the site though I don't think so no I think it was enjoyable Uh, I would be happy to play it again but I am not feeling great love and passion merely fondness and brotherly respect it sounds like a fascinating idea it really does but it's one of those ideas that for me just comes with lots of quite big questions you know I think if you're going to use deck building as a mechanic you want to use it for something that it even vaguely feels like like what is deck building deck building is the same problems coming up over and over again it's it's changing a business and an infrastructure and that's why it was so good in a few acres of snow or arctic scavengers to represent the fog of war and not really having control that you want over your guys um and it makes me feel that as soon as you make it a more granular system of this deck represents you, it starts getting really weird. Deck building would be great for some sort of journey based thing with the tribe. I mean, it works so well as a That's very close people. to. Well, that's like what the Arkham Horror Living Card game is, right? It's, yeah. I suppose that's true. I do, however, want to. We, we've got lots of games to discuss, and I want to talk about a review that went up on the site two days ago, mm-hmm. which is Deception Murder in Hong Kong. Uh, and Who's been murdering Hong Kong? Well, one of the players, Matthew. What? I know. So this is a game for four to a whopping twelve people. If you can, if you know twelve people, I don't think I do. Um, well, and so it's kind of like Mysterium crossed with the Resistance, which is an amazing uh, confluence of stuff. You would both love it, and I'm sure you'll get to play it over this year. Fantastic. It, uh, <clears throat> basically, uh, there's been a murder by one of the players who has decided on randomly. Uh, everyone gets um, four murder weapons and four pieces of evidence in front of you, which, uh, and it's very important that you interpret this as stuff your policeman is carrying. So, Matt, your policeman might have like a rock and a scooter and uh, some ants. It's a good night. And Paul has uh, a dirty shirt and a bottle of wine and, uh, you know, some, some sarin gas in a bottle it's, or it's something. It's a better night. Um, uh, and I just have like a, a knife and another knife and a gun and a knife. Um, so, you're all sat around with all this gear. One person is the forensic scientist who likes the ghost in Mysterium. Uh, the forensic scientist gets everyone to close their eyes. The murderer opens their eyes and points at one of their cards, which is the murder weapon they used and the key evidence. And then the forensic scientist... Oh, I can show this to Matthew now, actually. Mm. Here, take these. Okay. Because I was taking photos today. Um, uh, so then has to indicate on these cards stuff like, where did the murder take place? So, uh, or, you know, cause of death, bleeding or suffocation. And then the players have to discuss which pairing of cards they think is the murderer's. Um, meanwhile, the murderer is trying to steer them away from the solution. Um, so it's it's kind of like Mysterium with a player who knows the answer trying to guide players, except instead of weird dream And how cards. specific are these? Because these are really interesting in terms of like um, talking about the the um the day of the crime in terms of like what day was it, what time of year it was, like what was the weather like? Well, I mean- this is this is the interesting thing, guys, because. Um, uh, Mysterium just has players trying to get across a general idea. You dream of some uh, mice, and then the person's like, mice, is that the chef? And then it is. Whereas this, the murderer in Deception uh, only points at two cards. Like The murderer, the example I use in the review, is pointing to fire and springs. So the murder weapon was fire, and the evidence is springs. The murderer doesn't have a crime in mind, but as the forensic scientist, you're asked, okay, this crime with springs and fire, what day of the week did it happen on? And that's, like, so you have to imagine a real crime. You have to look at these two cards and go, okay, um, murder, uh, fire and springs, is that a mattress fire? 
And then why would there be a, why would you kill someone with a mattress fire? How would you do that? And <laughs> wow. so you have to construct a crime that the actual murderer who decided on the cards has no idea. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but as the forensic scientist, you have to figure out what this means. We've had games where like it's been a drug deal um, in an office bathroom. We've had games where it was like someone being ki- like a homeless person being killed with a machete in a park. Um, so you basically have to be an on-the-fly crime novelist and hope yeah, that you're kind of. a half-decent one? Yeah, but mostly it's hilarious because um, everyone is talking about what the possible solution could be and everyone only gets one guess, at which point you lose your badge, which is hilarious because it's like, I think it was a machete, and then the boss goes, give me a badge. And then you can still talk <laughs> to all the other police. A police department. <laughs> no, it is. Um, but then you, you can still become part of the discussions, but you can never guess, and you've lost your badge. So we imagine that like the police get fired one after another, and they're all standing outside the office, going like they're in the Starbucks, yelling just on the corner, the window. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, you getting a coffee? Yeah, I've just been thinking about a case. You're you're not on the, the case anymore. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Yeah, but listen, <laughs> it has to be ants. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really quite really funny. But it's got this thing where whatever you think it could be, like I really think it was the rope. Like, that card is always in front of a player. And the one thing everyone knows is that because the murderer is pointed at cards that are always in front of them, um, everyone knows that the murder weapon cannot be the cards in front of them. Which means that anything anyone points to and goes, oh, I think it's this, one player around the table will always go, no, it can't be. It's never going to be that. Because they know or have to pretend that it's not that. Which leads leads to just this wonderful frisson of just like you cannot say anything in Deception Murder in Hong Kong without a player going. Well, it's just that's not true. fascinating mix of stuff and the fact that you've got really one person nice. who is just trying to trying to throw people off the yes the and case. it is funny because if someone has a bad idea and then the player immediately goes that is absolute nonsense it just makes them look like the murderer <laughs> so like bad ideas tend to sort of like float around and stuff um but yeah That's really interesting. interesting and unlike mysterium it's like 20 minutes it's really quick you just play, oh, really? it, play it again yeah it's super fast I was going to say, I mean, also the thing that's lovely is, is Mysterium is fantastic. I love it. But it's fixed. You know, what you're trying to, to drive people towards is, is concrete and it is fixed. Yeah. And if you give people clues and they're just not picking up the right clues and they go, oh, maybe it's that. And everyone goes, nah. And they just forget that train of thought. <laughs> then all you can do is keep trying to get them to go back onto the train of thought you were on. Yeah, and sometimes you can try to think okay well they're talking like this I'm going to adapt to what they're saying but then inevitably if you but adapt then, they go back to the first exactly so it's always whereas with this it's like you can start telling a story in the way you think makes sense but then if they start picking up on different clues then you have to go okay well how can I take the story that they're building in their head yes. and guide them towards so it's basically like you're trying to give them a story but then if they come up with a different one then you just have to go okay well how yes. do I introduce the rope or the knife into this story like, yeah you're basically really weird and even th- like thematically it's hilarious like you're a forensic scientist who like has to o- eavesdrop on water cooler conversations then send passive aggressive emails like, I can imagine like it's fascinating it's like a collaborative role playing experience and it could be a nightmare with the wrong people if one person's trying to be Jonathan Creek and someone else is being Sherlock Holmes, oh no you are all Marple, you are all but, Reno 911 <laughs> you are, like, there is no one around there who's a real policeman because you've all just got like like one person just has like four umbrellas <laughs> like you're all weirdos because of the cards in front of you it's that i mean the game just fantastic yeah. sorry go on no no that's it that's all i wanted to say i wanted to blitz but uh but you know what from one crime to another uh, yes. if people want to know more about deception or see pictures that's just all on shut up and sit down.com along with literally hundreds of other reviews of great games you can also click on a button that shows only the games we recommend uh, yeah to the games page how about that yeah i mean if you haven't actually checked out the website recently like it's been really re-jazzed in the last six months or so maybe we jazzed it so hard it's it's unbelievably jazzed it's all (laughs) Uh, over nine months ago but paul you did a crime thing you got to 
experience something that I was complaining about, what, like two years ago? And still annoys me. Let's tell Matthew about Dark Stories. Matthew, do you know anything about Dark Stories? I've seen the box. Oh, it's, uh, I've got my version's called Black Stories. I wonder if it's called something different in um, America. It says 50, mis- 50 creepy mysteries on the box, which is, oh. which is fantastic. I, oh, wait. I think it's like the, the basically the, the cousin of this or something by the sounds of it, or the expanded oh, edition. Thing? Okay, so there is a bio. Okay, right. Good to know we're talking about the same thing. Um, so there is a bio of the designer. Yes. Um, so what, what you need to know, uh, Matt, is that this is basically a game of mysteries. Every card in Black Stories or Dark Stories is a mystery that players have to ask questions about to try and get to the solution. But my favourite thing is the bio of the author. Okay. Do you want to just uh, read this to the people at home? Uh, sure, yes. <laughs> it's got a fantastic name. Yeah. Holger Bosch was scared stiff, at least for a few seconds, when in 1964 in the Hearts Mountains, he was first exposed to the dark mysteries of the world. While amusing himself at various schools, Holger, he soon gained a reputation as a brilliant storyteller, especially among his teachers, who, unfortunately, were not greatly amused. I keep expecting this to go completely differently, who unfortunately, tragically died. died. Also, what happened in the mountains? Anyway, in 1984, <laughs> whilst visiting Israel, he finally met people who wanted to hear his stories. <laughs> <laughs> it's heartbreaking. It took him 20 years to find someone who wanted to hear his stories. He and his friends came up with the very first mysterious stories during the apple harvest in the scorching heat. The details thrown into this are make no, it, it absolutely just, no sense. No, we could probably... I mean, it goes on, doesn't it? It does go on, um, but it is, it's incredible. It like, has tons of details in here, none of which are elaborated on. In, in itself, this bio is like a web of mysteries. But, uh, Paul, does, that, uh, does knowing more about uh, Holger Bosch uh, help you understand... God, the photo that Holger Bosch is my well. porn name. Uh, <laughs> I mean... Does that help the game make more sense to you, that Holger Bosch is this like, slightly not self-aware man? It absolutely... It's like a, the perfect entree. You read that and you're like, I know what the, mail, the main meal is going to be now. And the main meal is going to be nonsense. <laughs> and it is spectacular. It's the idea that it, it, he had to travel to another country 20 years later to find people who want to hear his stories. I love the way that line is delivered as if it's some sort of conspiracy. As if, like, you know, people don't want to hear the truth. <laughs> it is. Um, I mean, it's a... It's a Everything about the packaging. I mean, the European packaging has got this, like a blood stain. It's pure red flags. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, what are, what are some of the? So, just to clarify, Paul, how does this game work? This game is for for two or more players, and it's between two and I think they say something like two hundred and twenty-two minutes. Which <laughs> also, yeah, because you could be playing this for a while. You have a dark story or a black story, I guess, depending upon whether you're from North America or Europe. And the story is always like something mysterious, usually bad or sinister happened, like a body, you find a body somewhere, or somebody does a a weird, mysterious thing uh, with, with a gun. Is this a game that's basically one of those irritating riddles? Yes. Like lots of those irritating yeah. riddles being like, well, how oh, did Matthew. the person, what happened to this person? And the answer is something that just makes you go, oh, piss off. Like, it's so much I've, more and yet also not. I've got some bad news, guys. Go on, go on. We're, we're going to play this right now. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. This is uh, a riddle called The Deadly Dove, which I've just pulled from my collection. Oh, you ready? No. Yep, this I'm is going to take us forever. A fortune teller tells a man that a white dove will kill him. A short while later, 
the man dies. You see, it's interesting because <laughs> these it? these types of riddles, right? I over the years, I don't know what point it happened, but there came a point when somebody would would read something like that to me or ask me that, and I just wouldn't think about it because I just I, my brain just goes not doing this because yeah. I've done it too many times and I've been so frustrated at the 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 neurons I've wasted burning out trying to work out these silly things. I mean, that's I just it. don't do it. It's that the answers are so universally awful that it's but, never like the oh that's so clever that you want when you've put time into solving these things. They're always abstractions and some people really like them and that's fine but like for me it's just like Here's the thing. I hate them. You can't get out of this. Oh, what's, what is it again? Let me think. Okay, about it it's cool. I haven't thought about these for about ten years, man. This the other and... thing is, you've got to ask these questions in a way they can they can only be answered yes or no. So you have to say something like, "Yeah, was the man killed by a bird? Was it dark? Here we go. Was it something the man heard? Things like Correct. this." I can only answer questions from yes or no as like the the black story master or whatever the game calls me. So uh, a fortune teller tells a man that a white dove will kill him. A short while later, the man dies. Right, was he killed by a white dove? No. Was, uh, of course he wasn't. Did he fall over? No. Was it an accident? Yes. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, if a fortune teller tells him that a white dove will kill him, and then he dies, and it has nothing to do with... Uh, well, why don't you ask that? Me. Come on. Why did he... How, to ask if the fortune <laughs> came true. Did the fortune come true? Yes. Oh, I mean... W- was the... Was the dove that killed him a real bird? No. Was oh, it some it was abstract thing? Was it a bar of soap? White dove? No. Did he slip on a bar of soap and die and crack no. his head? No. That would have been good. Was it a statue? Uh, no. Was it a blimp? Uh, no. White dove, what was it? White dove. <laughs> Um, Matt looks, for the people at home, Matt looks like he's going to hit me soon. I, I really, I feel like I'm going to rub people up the wrong way with this. But no, 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 Matt, these are awful. This stuff just reminds me of like, you know, when you're going through those formative years of like before you've realised the sorts of people at parties you just fundamentally don't want to talk to. I mean, here's yes. the thing: this I, just yes. brings me back to university but, of having people being like, "Oh, I've got a riddle for you," but, and just being like, not being old enough to go, ha, "Oh, sorry, hey, I've just seen someone I know." And, but it's and, that kind of like, <laughs> "I've got a riddle for you." Yeah, I can like, I can. I can like it's like a, a random character but, generator he, video game. I can I can create the sorts of people who would ask me these questions in my I head. agree completely but I took it to a pub kind of to make fun of it with my friends and we did play it for like three hours it's still in my collection I just pulled it off my shelf because no, fair, it's fair. kind of like even the conversations we're having now are not not entertaining Matt's given up Paul are you, do you want to persevere with this dove question I'll be as right let me try a few more so um, was it something he did no it was an accident. We've established that. Uh, but this is why I get so angry. Is because as soon as I engage my brain, I want to solve it. <laughs> well, that's it. And I get engaged with it. Yeah. And I'm into it. But then it's always like completely unsatisfying. So was, I hate you for it, opening this door in my mind. Was it something he ate? No. Did something hit him or strike no, him? No. Did he fall? And we've established that it's not an actual dove, the animal that killed him. Yeah. Did he fall? Uh, no. Was it something that could happen at home? No. All did, right. Look, you're did not he slip even... on some dove poo? No. Listen, listen. I'm going to give you the answer because neither of you are near and we've got a podcast to solve. <laughs> Unless, no, I, I was going to say we could like edit out the bit where you guys ask questions, no. but that would be mad. The answer is, a few days after visiting the fortune teller, the man was operated on by a surgeon called Dr. Dove. Oh, just get out. Right, and that's, they're, they're all like this. There are a couple <laughs> that are actually... Um, Kind of just intriguing. 
and they a couple like that on the end. I, make sense but a lot of the time it's like this happened and this unrelated unforeseeable thing happened and it caused this and you, you know, get funny, to the I've end been, and it's really I, unsatisfying and then I've you do watching, it again I've been watching a TV show recently which is like not amazing but it's okay but it's based on a, it's, it's a, a Douglas Adams thing what's the name D- of the show? Dirk Gently Okay. and it's like the holistic detective and it's the idea it's basically he. the idea is he wrote this originally as being a kind of dumb retort to detective dramas and okay. fact, this idea is this detective just wanders around and everything he bumps into is relevant to the case and it's basically <laughs> it's a joke about the way that detective dramas work Yeah. Okay. Uh, and of like how do you motor this around and this is just that it's like reverse it's like you just come up with something and then just come up with a reason why rather than having any logic yeah to there it. is no like, wit involved in this like, let's just no. I mean and oh man it but just Paul, hurts did you, me I mean yes it's kind of painful but kind, for me it's kind of like exercise is not necessarily the right analogy but like it's that same kind of like you feel stressed and tired and like <laughs> it's like something you want to chew on you know it's you know like- what I'm saying it's like kind of really unsatisfying junk food or something where you eat yes. something and you go, I don't feel that good. I shouldn't have done that. And then you just eat some more. And it's then masochism, like, I think. <laughs> it's masochism, yeah. That's uh, what it is. It's being you, beaten it up keep... during sex. <laughs> oh, God. But like a mental version of it. But we Jesus. keep breaking it open and doing another... See, see, this story. is what I'm saying. I was the first to make fun of this game. I was correct to make fun of it. You're, you two are both correct to make fun of it, but it's Moorish. No, no, that's the thing, and I get that, and that's why I'm not like, hey, people who play these and like these are bad. It's just I, I personally know that it is like it is not a good relationship for me. It's like I, I get, I, I, I'll play it, but then when I'm involved with it, it will make me angry. So it's just one of these things. Like, I know it's like a no. Just stay away from these things. It will not end well. Let's yep. Uh, yep. let's quickly close by uh, talking about a, ge- a great game from last year that Matt reviewed, I think, for us, or maybe the year before that. That's just enjoyed a sequel. Sequels just arrived in Europe. Mm. It's Welcome Back to the Dungeon. Yeah, Hello. I actually don't know anything about this sequel. Paul, what is Welcome and or Welcome Back to the Dungeon? You and your wonderful team of player friends are trying to get into a dungeon to get treasure and defeat monsters. You start off with this sort of smorgasbord of assistance and equipment that sits in the middle of the table. And you also have this deck of cards that represents all the nasty monsters that could be in the dungeon. And it is your choice, basically, whether you want to uh, burn something from the middle... Yeah, you say, I will go in without my sword and then remove the sword from the equipment. Yeah, because all the things in the middle have a special power, like they give you more hit points, which means you could take more damage from certain monsters, or they allow you to maybe kill a certain monster or avoid a certain problem. So I will it, go in without my axe of golem smashing. Yeah, yeah it's, kind of, it's kind of got that fun bravado of, of. I mean, you are doing it in a very mechanical way, based on what's in your hand and based on what you think you definitely can't survive without but yeah because the, the this main, is it the, the, the other side obviously you've got this deck of cards that is all the things that are in that dungeon which are monsters of different power that do certain amounts of damage and you kind of you have some idea of what's in there because as the deck goes around the table you uh look at what's in it or you look at some of what's in it and you have an idea of what's coming next but you might not be the person who ends up with the deck being passed to them and then who ends up basically going into the dungeon which is tackling that deck or what's left of that deck yes with what's left in the middle so very simply everyone adds a monster or removes equipment and then on your turn you can pass or make it worse so it's the last player to pass has to go in um which yeah results in all those moments of like 
oh, I don't want to pass this turn because it's probably beatable, but I don't want to put anything in because then everyone's going to pass and then everyone passes and sure enough, you have to go in. Yeah. And then maybe you succeed. Yeah, maybe you're fine. Yeah. Or maybe not. <laughs> but you never really go in being like, I've got this. Yeah. Like, very rarely, anyway. So yeah. what's the sequel adding um, doing? It takes... So the original game... Original, original game was Japanese, and it just had one class, which was, like, oh, yes, the knight. Then um, ELO got it and added three new classes, which is, like, wizard, uh, thief, uh, other generic thing. Barbarian, I think, maybe. Yeah, correct, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Welcome Back to the Dungeon is just four new classes designed by, like, Antoine Bowser and some people, some, like, famous designers, mm-hmm. and they are a bit more in-depth. Right. Yeah. Um, so like they tend to offer decisions in the middle of the um, dungeon like I can't quite remember them like one of which is I think you can kill any monster but only after you see it so like as you're going through the dungeon you have a bit more choice to slaughter things it's a bit more complicated a bit more uh, sort of gamey and I didn't immediately feel that that benefited it but I did like the variety of like if you combine both sets now you have eight different characters you can Enter the dungeon. Well, that's the only thing I'd say is like I enjoy Welcome to the Dungeon, but I even felt actually having these four different classes was just like ah, okay, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know what? It's man? a fun, simple game, but when you start like trying to flesh it out and add more time to it and add more complexity, I'm just like I probably just play something else. Like yeah. it's great, but it was fine with maybe a couple of classes. I like the variety. I don't think it benefits hugely. I'm not mad about Welcome Back to the Dungeon. I own both. I'll keep owning both. What do you think, Paul? I have to say I I like what it adds, and I think it things like. Um, very it has things like very specific equipment in way if you go into the dungeon with this weapon you defeat like a very specific nasty beastie or you yeah the give first yourself... game had that though yeah yeah I, I i i don't know i guess i just feel it's a bit better tuned and a bit more interesting and i i just like that it adds more i suppose i just the first like game that is... there is more variety you know what, man? I feel like the first game is simpler, but that actually makes it more playable. Playing the second game with all the crazy equipment, and then the, you can it, it actually adds some extra monsters you can put into the monster deck that are crazier. But all that sort of uh, uh, madness and variety just meant it was harder to play well. Okay. Um, I felt like I felt like I was making decisions based on less evidence, but the game was being more surprising. So it gains more for me in uh, sort of shock value and loses something of like actual strategy yeah I f- it, it feels I think like the, almost like the perfect kind of sequel it's like if you played the original a lot and you understood the mechanics of it very well and you are very used to it this shakes things up it adds things that are different uh, it's maybe not the, the first thing to play if you've never played the original but it feels like the next step up for people who really liked the original, the first game. It makes a lot of sense, yeah. I mean, I feel like it, it, yeah, it shakes things up, but I always thought the original game was like, you know, a nice dinner that, you know, people have plated yeah. it nice food and someone's shaking my dinner and it's like, well, no, now the beans are like, it, I had, a, I put them in a grid. and Now, now the you've... beans are by my ears like I'm a magician with, with Some people would like lentils. that. Idiots. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it is weird though, actually, because this sort of game, when you have these sorts of expansions, often, you know, as they should be, board game expansions or sequels in this case, um, aim to kind of add new things for people who are really big fans of the original thing. However, it's interesting with this because it's like, I, I maybe there are lots of people out there who, who love Welcome to the Dungeon, who like played it loads. And the idea of adding new systems to that and new things is like, yes, more of that. Whereas to me, I really like that game, but I can never see myself playing it more than just something a light thing to play here or there. I can't, I, it's not the sort of game I can imagine getting really into. But maybe that's just me. It is a weird thing that it's a £20 game 
And then if you want Welcome Back to the Dungeon, you pay like another £20. But that's money you could just buy an entirely new small box game with. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. You can buy like a copy of Diamante For me, it's like Arboretum. the perfect size for a beautiful little thing to just put in your bag to play on a train or something. But after about an hour, you're probably done with it. For now, I think. But again, maybe just me. Hey, how do you guys feel about this idea that the um, the stuff that you use to sell expansions of glitter, more, crazy, edition is different from what actually improves the game? Like, all expansions make games bigger and add more stuff, but because that's far easier to sell than here's an expansion that removes some of the stuff from the original game or replaces it. You know, stuff that would arguably... Like, I feel like you're almost hamstrung as a designer because gamers want more, but that's not necessarily the first your first put of call if you're revisiting it's an game. especially an interesting thing when you when you have the, the whole problem that you can't patch games you know and it's something we'll uh, may come back to that actually in the next podcast when we're talking about a uh, uh, quite an old card game which I think is a, an interesting an interesting element of that oh yeah mm, maybe the I biggest old, that. oldest card game maybe, maybe it could who be? could say I don't know what it could be put your hand in the mailbag for me a letter so reaching into the mailbag we've got an interesting question this time from Jenny, who has uh, just gone through a very significant life event, actually. She writes, hi, Quins. Doesn't write to the rest of us. She just writes to you, Quins. Hi, Quins. Ooh, fair. <laughs> this might be an odd question, but I suspect I won't be the first to ask. Did you, by any chance, incorporate board games into your wedding? My boyfriend and I have just decided to get married, and we're both Congratulations, gamers. Jenny! Yeah, congratulations. I we're thought both... you guys would have would join me on that. No, yeah, I'm, I'm congratulating with, with my mind. Congratulations, do you, Jenny. Do you mind? Jenny has a question, okay, and you're sorry. interrupting, and she's got to sort this wedding out, and she's relying on you <laughs> to get this done. She's got under a lot of pressure. And it's a waffle coming from you. This is why she wrote to Quinn's, specifically, Matt. Fair, oh, fair. God. Boyfriend and I have just decided to get married, and we're both gamers, and I wondered if you would have any ideas for including board games in the decor or activities. Many thanks, Jenny. Uh, well, I'm not the only person who had a wedding. Matthew, you both Lees did. Also got married. I did to his cool wife. I did. I did. Uh, so what? Just let's answer the, her question first. What would be some cool games to do for board games? You know, I think it's um, one of the things I, when I think about this. One thing that I think would be really nice that you could do quite easily um, might be something if you're having a sit down dinner in the day and you've got people like you know tabled up it might be nice if you could have in the center of the table some some way of having a really simple game that people if they want to yeah can have a play on like you could make your own little custom version of skull or something and just just as a as an optional thing for people who don't know each other to just have a little go and have a little bit of a breaking the ice because sometimes you have to sit around with strangers for like yeah 45 minutes and you just end up drinking all of the wine so it's not awkward so i think i think as a way of having something fun for people to do there's definitely ways you could implement usually maybe make up a version of a classic game using the the table markers or whatever you've you got. know what I don't know. that first of all i think that's a really good idea second the ice breaking thing is is sometimes a, an important thing at a wedding and third i went to my friend rob's wedding a few years ago now and they actually did something a bit like that they had some very basic dice games that he and his wife had actually designed wow um, and they just, you know, just a pack of dice and a, some printed instructions on the table uh, and something that, that just got people talking or trying out an activity together. You and know I what? Think I would, that's quite a good level to, I think to aim for. That, I think that's good. That's And also maybe just like a little trivial pursuit style question cards, but the questions are all about the bride and groom. Put that in the middle yeah, of the table. Have people quizzing each other. I think there's some very fun light game stuff you could do just I, to act as a, as a kind of icebreaker, yeah. I think the two rooms in a boom people do something called two rooms in a groom which is like the uh, <laughs> wedding variant of two rooms in a boom which is 
something big and silly. But um, I think Jenny also asked if we had board games at our weddings. Um, and actually, neither Matt or I did. There were no sort of gaming, gaming paraphernalia. And partially, you know, while it was, that seems like an oversight because, you know, we live and breathe board games, because Shut Up and Sit Down is so important to us, I just wanted to take this opportunity to point out that actually we know from covering games for so long that maybe the most important thing in running a games website is that it's basically caring for a living. Yes. You need to constantly have energy. You need to be so passionate, which means that uh, sometimes we just want to, uh, you know, put the board games down for a bit so that when we come to work on a Monday, we are so energized and excited to work. It's like looking after a lion that you love, but it's the, it's a lion <laughs> and it can still kill you or run away. And uh, It's yeah, exactly I think the, like that. that. That's the key thing about it is it is your life. Um, and it's I like that it can kill you or run away. Like if you get too much or too little. Exactly. Like it can slip away from you. You can you can burn yourself out and be like, I just don't care anymore. Or you can just find that it evades you sometimes. And the, the key to that is is ensuring it doesn't become your life. Um, because you know it's interesting. You know you can have a passion and it can be your everything. But as soon as it also becomes your job, you then have to treat it very carefully um, mm. because otherwise it will evade you. And, and I think yeah, yeah. Like it was the two thousand two years ago. Now I made the decision as like in my kind of acting role of editor of the site to be like we need to have fun but actually that's been great and we've been doing that and enjoying ourselves yeah but it's hard and you have to you have to be careful with it you have to have a strategy like you can't just be like let's have fun it's here's a question actually for both of you then i mean did it even occur to you to either of you any point that you wanted something board game or any game themed or was it never even on the table my wife and i joked about it because um it's something that we both knew that she would not want, um, especially as someone who worked previously in games before. Um, like I remember talking to uh, Kieran Gillen, who for a while back was writing for Marvel, and uh, there was a brief period when he was writing superhero comics. Like everyone would just like for Christmas and stuff. It was Iron Man cufflinks. It was you know uh, Cyclops tie. It was like, and that was annoying to him because. You know, believe it or not, when you do something for a living, you kind of need to put it down. Didn't you have an anecdote about Bruce Stingstein, Paul? Yeah, uh, I, it's funny you say that. I was reading, uh, I'm not like the biggest fan of him, but he's to me really interesting as a person and here's some things he's gone through in life, the way he thinks. But I, so I like reading about him and reading interviews and things and listening to him talk. And he was talking about the importance of putting down the guitar and remembering who the person is that you are outside of maybe what you're best known for because you know everybody has multiple interests but everybody has other things that they care about all of us uh, are interested in a whole bunch of things and if you just become defined by one thing or if you expect that one thing to work for you all all the time it just can't that just that just won't happen like you cannot be an arena rock musician all the time and you can't you can't expect people to treat you like that and you can't expect to behave like that and you just can't expect to find that satisfying all the time it is an interestingly specific uh idea that is focused wholly on the creativity and the idea that it's fun it's strange that you wouldn't for example if you had a friend who worked on an oil rig you wouldn't for christmas buy them a massive framed picture of an oil rig and be like hey look you love oil rigs so you must love oil rigs otherwise why would you work you know it's it's interesting it's like obviously you do love it um but there is often an idea that that your life is is wholly focused on on exactly what you do and often that's perpetuated by a lot of people who create stuff like you know that is there are people who like yeah i love everything about this and it's all I do and um, I kind of feel like either sometimes uh, especially you get with a lot of uh, YouTube personalities who are really into video games or really into board games really into whatever and it is like they're everything that it's either um, 
either kind of maybe a bit of a facade uh, or it's not healthy. I think it's one or the other. Well, I, I actually think that something that we bring to board games as critics uh, or like uh, generally brought to our work as critics, even outside of board games when we get paid to do other things, is like you need to have interests in other things and live and breathe other things to get a critical lens. Like, yeah. for example, how how do you know if the writing in video games is good? If like if you don't read, you yeah. don't read yeah. books, right? If you don't uh, watch movies and read scripts, how do you know if cinematography in video games is good? And similarly with board games, something I really enjoy um, when I'm playing board games with um, you, Matt, or uh, with um, our friend Ollie, uh, you know, both artists, well, him being an artist for a living and you uh, knowing art design and knowing InDesign and stuff, is uh, the way that you can look at board games and point out things that I would never notice. But mm. you've had to have an interest in art design to, like, uh, like when we no- you notice like default Photoshop um, shapes. Yeah, like, I, I just see things like, oh, oh god, wow. that's like a two minute job. Or oh, what is that? And and most people wouldn't know, but it just jumps off the page. Oh, and uh, I was playing uh, something. Some people might have seen my friend Clark. I'm in B roll for Shut Up Sit Down videos, but he runs the UK's uh, biggest uh, independent board game. I mean, t- uh, comics convention. Um, which is Thought Bubble uh, up in Leeds every year, and but he, it's amazing putting art in front of him because he obviously works in comics. He mm. knows comics artists, and he can look at art and recognize artists. He can point out things that I would notice. So, yeah, I think having more interests than just board games massively improves your ability to and criticize. I, th- them. I think crucially as well, um, and this is you know not to get too self help, but this is a really useful thing to like learn and people to know is that throughout your life you're going to have these mild crises of confidence in things, and you know whether yeah. it's your your work or your relationship, you're going to have moments in your life where you're just not feeling something that's always been a bedrock for you in whatever yes. way and making sure you have other things to fall back on like is so vital and there's a real risk with these things if your job and your hobby are the same thing and you're 100% committed then when when it falters when you go through a, a, a malaise where you're just not feeling it which happens to everyone yeah, if you put does. all your eggs in that one basket that's really hard and you know you'll yeah. come back from it but it's a difficult thing and after you've had that happen to you once and I think most people in our line of work have you need to start you know doing things to make sure it doesn't happen again yeah, absolutely. There's, um, very quickly, there's another thing I'll say, which is I remember, I think, a couple of people at Rock, Paper, Shotgun, which Quinns used to work full-time there, and I've done a bunch of freelance for them. I remember a couple of staff saying, if you want to get into write- games writing or covering games or something like that, it's really good if you have a bunch of other interests for all the reasons that we've just talked about. And I would say to if anyone wants to you know, launch a podcast or a website or a thing covering board games... I always say sort of the more the merrier, but also have lots of interest, have lots of experience and things you care about that you can draw upon because it will enrich your work and it makes you a more rounded person. Yeah, I uh, if oh, I'm trying to think of something like um, if someone launches a new board game blog tomorrow, then I'm probably not going to read it because, you know, there are loads and it's extremely difficult to just be the best at generic board game reviewing. But let's say you're a full-time psychologist um, and then you're writing about board game reviews from the angle of a psychologist and the psychology of um, game designs and what that, how players interact. I read that in a heartbeat. You know? Yeah. Uh, wow, this, hey, this took us on quite a tangent, didn't it? I really enjoyed that chat. Speaking of uh, psychology and humans being awful, let's move on to our folk game of the month. Ah. Folk game of the month. 
So, uh, you guys remember a couple of podcasts ago when uh, I said we had enough folk games that were played in churches that were, like, the earliest sexual awakening of Australian readers of Shall yes. I Sit Down. Yes, really specific. And yeah. I, because that's like 50% of all the folk games we got sent. And I asked for games that people played uh, in their work. That gave them a sexual awakening. Uh, no, just flat out just ordinary work. You didn't ask for that specifically? Classic work, Matthew. That's what I asked you to ask well, for. Well, we have to have something for 2018. Please don't send us those. Um, so, you know what? We I've been blown away by so many responses from so many people uh, writing in for their work. We've got folk games for the next six months easily. But... That shouldn't but. stop you. If you've got a folk game played at your job, in your career, whether you're a carpenter or a wrestler or a stuntman, <laughs> please write in if you're a stuntman. <laughs> the I want three to be job types. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, do write in. But there's one job in particular that has written in with more folk games than anyone else. And I've collected three of the best ones here. And that's teachers. Yeah. All of whom have written in on condition of anonymity. Um, so, uh, oh, not this one. This one's just Paul. So, uh, he writes, we'll start with this. Hi, guys. Um, so during exams, quite often we're asked not to teach and invigilate an exam instead. And that means we basically sit in silence for about half an hour and stare at rows and rows of children in various states of panic. Uh, in the UK, there are set ratios of teachers to students which are allowed. So quite often this is done with a colleague who will be equally bored with the task. Similar to the folk game mentioned in the last podcast sometime, uh, we will play a game to pass the time. Uh, I'm going to cut that out because that is not a line that needs being said. Uh, as you walk past each other, the achievement will be to mention in hushed tones things like go to prison or be a millionaire. It is the object to stand behind the student you think will be the first to achieve this oh and God. casually glance over their work. This is probably not the most professional of games <laughs> to play, but it's the only thing possible to do in silence for long periods of time. Uh, as we're about to find out in the next email, which we'll come to in a minute, that is not the only thing you can do when invigilating exams. Oh my god, that's amazing. Go to uh, prison. Like, oh man. <laughs> but you can tell. And you're usually right. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, it's not PC to uh, to do it, but hey, we uh, all knew it, the kid who's going to prison in our year. Technically, it's the teacher's job to try and stop that from happening, but hey, it's you can only do so much against the waves of reality. Um, I mean, this does prove that folk games are actually a really important part of the human existence. Because I have a friend whose whole theory with his his pop psychology that he's interested in is boredom is not given enough credence for how awful it is to humans, like how cruel it is. Like solitary confinement and lack of uh, stimulation is actually significantly more painful uh, than we kind of give it credit for in our world. It is hugely problematic, actually. Yeah, but it's not okay to complain about boredom because it seems pathetic. Um, but you know this is proof that teachers will risk their <laughs> reputation and professionalism uh, just for something things to always do. get very silly when you're really bored I think the, some of the silliest working times of my life have been jobs where I've had to like just stand in the street um, handing out pamphlets with other people for like 14 hours yeah like, yeah. Uh, I had to do that uh, for a lot of time in zone 6 of London in areas uh, which pre- where people predominantly didn't really speak much English which is fine I don't have a problem with that but when you're trying to talk to people um, that makes your job a little difficult on that um, subject I'm going to tease uh, that there is a gentleman who works at a car hire place um, who is described uh, who I'll, I will get to his folk game in a few months but uh, <laughs> 
but yeah, he's describing exactly what you did of like playing something incredibly unprofessional just because of the sheer boredom. To do yeah, I mean, we, we weren't super unprofessional, but my God, we got bored and we came up with some... Cr- At one point, me and a guy, we just discussed for ages how we could definitely build our own sofa and it would save money. <laughs> and we like that planned it eventually. We never did it, but we spent hours like basically inventing the sofa from scratch in our heads because you just get so bored. There is no you know you what? The sofa. This- I had like the most elaborate conversations about what you do in zombie survival like you know where like oh, these yeah. aren't just conversations that are like 20 minutes like four hours like <sighs> massive master plans you know but i bet you have good memories of like of that person though and how much they kept you engaged and how much you enjoyed like maybe the job was awful but the the actual I do. yeah i mean i once actually had in a summer job where i was on my own on a till for hours and hours i elaborately came up with an incredible in-depth, foolproof plan of how I would rob the place blind. Oh, that is that and, is you know done wow. by every single person who works. Obviously, never did it, but I was like, hang on, if I did that, I'd get like thirty grand, and they'd never catch me. I think I did that either the day before or the day after, but certainly around the time that the place I was in actually got robbed by an actual <laughs> thief who actually wow. emptied the safe. <laughs> exactly, the shoe shop I was working in. And but I mean, yeah, like absolute boredom is uh, often if you. It's like, it can be brilliant for the creative mind, but it also can be, if you're not in the mood for it, You know, it, people say that uh, to get to know your colleagues, you know, you don't trust someone until you've um, been drunk with them, right? Because you let your guards down and then you, you, you see a side of them that you wouldn't have seen otherwise. I think it's mm. also true if you don't know someone until you've spent 14 hours bored out of your mind with them. Like, yeah. I remember working behind a bar and just the nonsense and the, the questions you asked each other. Yeah. Like, and the yeah. way you get to really deep stuff really quickly because... And you and you listen to them so intently because yeah. there's nothing to do. You're just do. like, I need stimulation. Tell like, me about your father. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to very quickly tell you something. I did a whole bunch of menial jobs when I was younger and a lot, not very, a lot were not very exciting, a lot were quite hard work. And I worked for a while in a currency sorting centre that sorts oh, foreign currency yeah. and mails it out to banks and things. So it's, it's actually like a high security facility loads and loads of cameras loads of procedures that you go through to make sure people don't steal you know maybe thousands of dollars and then go to a bank and change that all this but the actual process of sorting currency is really dull and we we would put stuff in bags and mail it out so we just had a load of like envelopes and stickers and i worked with a lot of people who were just like doing their summer job and they were often very nice very smart very interesting people so talking to them was great being them being with them was great and when you put a bunch of smart people in a place where you give them something really dull and mindless and repetitive to do you find amazing ways to like just think we have bags and stickers think of how elaborate a, a scheme you can come up with where you and your friend distract I don't know, let's call him Anthony, while everyone else finds an elaborate way to sticker his shoes to the floor without him realising, so he actually cannot move. And this is like a a procedure that involves like four or five different people, where you don't want to get caught by your manager, but also you want to basically adhere your friend to the floor. So when lunch comes, there's sort of a ripping noise as he tries to walk. (laughs) I uh, I mean, I spent spent a day like... I spent a day just putting like anything into sealed sandwich bags, like everything. Like I could just seal things in these little plastic pouches that were meant for fresh sandwiches. But I just got so bored that I just—I've probably told this story before. But I got my my good friend. I, I t- took everything out of his jacket individually and individually put it in tiny sealed plastic bags, so that when in his wallet it was like each of the banknotes was in a tiny individual plastic bag, <laughs> oh, each of the coins. It. 
And like months later, he'd be going to get something out of his wallet and he'd find it like he couldn't use it because it was sealed in a tiny plastic bag. Yeah. I remember oh, I being, in, uh, being in the bar that I worked in and we were all really bored. There were like four of us on shift and there was a guy and a girl on a date and um, they were sort of like whispering to each other really conspiratorially because we're so bored. We are processing every single thing, every bit of body language they're doing. And it is like they are pantomiming that they're going to go to the toilet together and maybe have a bit of a kiss and a cuddle in the toilet. But it was so obvious, like because we were just watching them. We had nothing else to yeah, do. Yeah. And as soon as like the girl went to the bathroom and then maybe two minutes later, the boy went to the bathroom. As soon as they were out of earshot, all four of us turned to each other. And it's like, sent to our manager, please, can I be the one to get him out? Please. <laughs> and the manager said no. And the manager went and took a bucket of ice with him. <sighs> But didn't employ the bucket of ice because he was only going to, being a professional, he fair. would only, only do that if they didn't come out initially. Fair, fair, fair. Uh, but hey, we've gotten off topic. Wow. There's other games that teachers do when they invigilate exams. Uh, and on, uh, under conditions of strict anonymity, writes this person, I am occasionally called upon to invigilate exams, blah, 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 blah. Um, when these are of lesser importance, brackets, marks, mock exams, I have been known to play slow motion games of tag, but the next level is Pac-Man, something I still aim to sort out properly with tennis balls. Wow. Oh, that's clever. Those kids are cheating so hard, <laughs> no one's paying attention I mean, to them. with Pac-Man, it's like, how do you do that without walking quickly? How do you do that in slow motion without people going, why are they, like, why are these teachers, like... Yeah, that would be quite hard. You have to set up some very strict rules about pace. Yeah, that would be extremely difficult. Unless you had a third teacher who was invigilating the speed at which your two With a whistle. players would play. <laughs> well, that's part of the challenge, I guess. Who watches you try the and... teachers? That's what I want to know. You just try and pull this off. Part of the fun of it is trying to make it even happen. Well, I think it's it's great with kids because kids, uh, uniformly, it takes them a long time to realise that adults are people. Yes. And so when you're at school, you just haven't noticed. So the idea that these teachers in this strict invigilation for- format might be just pissing about, <laughs> you just never clock it. It's wonderful. I kind of want to be an exam invigilator just oh, so I God, can be like, how much can I mess? No, I, I don't want to do that. Well, our final uh, teacher folk game. <clears throat> John writes in, uh, we are primary school teachers. And as I'm sure you can imagine, we encounter lots of children of a weird and wonderful nature. Not many people like teachers, including the children themselves. So we play a game <laughs> loosely called, and I quote, who is coming back to kill you and why? <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's you amazing. must pick a child who was... So this is primary school. I think this is far darker if it's like, you know, secondary school. Yeah. Stuff. Primary school, uh, if people aren't aware, you know, kids are like, what, young? Like Five, You leave six. primary school when you're like, yeah, seven, I think. Eight. Okay. Um, so the game is, you must pick a child who has left the school and who is suitably unhinged and agree on three things. One, why is that child coming back to kill you? Two, what is the means with which they will kill you? And three, what will their <laughs> parting quip be? Wow. Uh, uh, looking forward to teaching the Shut Up and Sit Down community's children. No, sur- no surnames on air, please. Never know who is listening. But that kind is regards, funny because John. you do have these these memories of like teachers that you think I hate that person. Like, <laughs> do you? I I have a couple. Yeah. Um. I don't actually remember her name. There was one woman who came from. She was like a. I don't know who she was. She was like an assistant from another school. I think she was an assistant for a bad kid who was there for every now and then. She wasn't always there. But I remember her telling me, she just said something like, um, oh, you'll, you're, she said something like, oh, you'll do terribly when you get to the next school. Like, that really stuck with you, huh? Yeah, no, wow. I was really annoyed because she basically, she just out- outwardly said like, did you do terribly I think you're going to have a really bad time. 
it's, you're going to have a really hard time in next school with this. And no, I didn't. Of course, I didn't. Well, you, I mean, it's not like she would have said that out of the blue. Like you know, you know, she's like, like a. No, I think I th- no. Obviously, she wasn't psychic, <laughs> but I think it's it's remarkable actually. And it, again, as children, you don't understand this because you don't understand that teachers are people. That you do have some teachers sometimes that are just nasty, bitter people. No, there, and, there are things that happen sometimes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, well, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had a number of times where I was just flat out told by teachers that I would fail. And it was just now, I just realised they I just mean, didn't like me. I mean, you did fail. I mean, I, you I did fail quite consistently. <laughs> so. But in the long run, it was okay. Yeah. Uh, it does make me um, wonder what yeah. occurs to a teacher where they decide, like, oh, here's a seven-year-old that I'm going to tell them that they're going to be crap at life. I mean, but... I, I mean, I, when you're in primary school as well, the idea of going to the big school is quite frightening. I love to stand up for teachers fail. here. Teachers have to deal with kids, and no, kids no. are the worst. I also have memories of teachers who are wonderful, who are, like, transformative, like, brilliant. Absolutely. Um, who I'll remember forever. But, um, yeah, it, it is funny. You do have a couple that you're just like, you know what? Like, screw you. I had screw a you. super weird experience where um, some people pinged me, uh, as they can, through contact at shutupandsitdown.com, that they wanted um, board games for their school. Have you got your teachers coming back and saying they're going to kill you? <laughs> no, I had uh, teachers from a school, which turned out to be my old school, come and collect some board games for the school's board game club. Um, but they had a cup of tea with me in, in the in the living room or the shut up and sit down studio. Um, and it was weird because I was talking to them like normal humans and, and you know, they were like 25, 30. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, no, you're, you like, need you're to be, younger than me. You need to be 30 years older than yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It was awful. It's like, are you sure you're doing... Are you allowed to do this job? It was like, I thought the kids were visiting me. Like, it was really bad. Oh, man. I've had Shut Up and Sit Down readers say that I fixate too much on getting old, which is true. I think we joke about it, and I think people think we're being mean about being old, but no, we're not really. I embrace it. I'm not. You're not. Do you feel feel old, Paul? Yes. A lot of people don't know that the age difference between Paul and myself is 15 years. 15, 16? 15, 16 years, yeah. When were you born? 19. You were born 1999. That's not, that's 1999. Not, that's not true. You're 18. <laughs> that took me ages to work out that was true. I was like, no. I love that makes doing Paul, this. like mid 40s like, or something. Like, doesn't I it? am. Like, I'm 43. You're not that old, Paul. You're not that old. Paul is 51. Paul does look. He's, he's in good shape, but he's not that old. We are all in good shape. Uh, yeah. Well, let's just close this podcast by saying <laughs> we are still the fittest board game reviewers out there. We are, and, and if, if anyone else if wants to step up... anyone wants to challenge us... You better get your hair game on, because our hair game collectively is just fine. Yeah, <laughs> hair and fitness. It's collectively I, I fine. last night. I'm fit. I've, You're fit. Paul was you fencing, run. I was boxing, Matt was swimming. I was rock climbing last night again. Oh, wow. Apparently. I've almost got abs... Guys, you know what I think? What? We're great. Yes! Good. Thank you very much for listening to the Shut Up and Sit Down podcast, everybody. Bye. Which has reached its final conclusion. It's over now. We've figured it out. <laughs> We're so sorry. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.